I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. Every episode, we talk about our week in review. Move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or review. And then we finish with film faves. Our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. Year by Not year. this time, though. Yes, but first, our main event will be a main review of Ready Player One, Steven Spielberg's latest spectacle. And film faves in honor of Spielberg will actually be a combined list of our favorite Steven Spielberg films. So, first, however, let's start with our week in review. Shanna, you and I, since the last episode, haven't really had much opportunity to watch anything on our own, respectively. It is spring break, y'all, and we have our little one. So, well, he's not so little. He actually looks more like a, a teenager now. Yeah. But, yeah, things have been crazy. Yeah, so it's been pretty busy, but we have watched a couple things together. Let's start with Battle in Seattle. This was a 2008 film, I believe, directed by Stuart Townsend, who was an actor in such films as uh, Queen of the Damned and, and such like that. And he's been acting since still, but uh, this was his only film that he's directed. This film stars uh, a large cast, like Martin Henderson, Charlize Theron's in it. Ed Harrison? No, Woody. Woody Harrelson Sorry, there, there we go. is in it as well. So it's about the WTO protests in Seattle back in 1999, I believe in the fall of 1999. Which is not always a fun time to be in Seattle, actually. In the fall of 1999? Well, I'm saying fall. Oh, and fall. So, well, yeah. yeah, that's beside the point here, but you may or may not be aware, but WTO came to organize in Seattle, have a big conference and all that, and people from all over the Northwest, and maybe even the country, were not having it. Shannon, I'm going to ask you first, and then I'll talk about my personal experience with this movie. What did you think of this film? I, I figured you might be interested because of its setting and learning a little bit of what happened in Seattle back then. Yeah, I think everyone knows me well enough to know that I love watching films that take place in Seattle because that's where I started off in this country. Where my, my base was Seattle. And I have a great love for the city. I, I think it's a beautiful city. So I love seeing depictions of it. On the other hand, I am not very familiar with protests. It's not something that I was ever involved in, in South Africa. And it's only been since the women's marches that I've been able to be present at one. And those are really peaceful mm. protests. Was this a peaceful post protest? In this film? Mm. No. What was interesting, <laughs> what, what I really appreciated about this film was you could tell the level of research being conducted prior to the film. And you can yeah. also tell that the director really wanted to be true to everything that was happening including the different levels of the people that were involved in 
a situation like this. Like, so, for example? For, you know, you get to see what protesting can be like on all the different levels. So you can see how it can be very peaceful. You can see the anarchists. You can see how people get injured if things get out of control. You see things go out of control horribly fast. And just, I mean, there was a curfew. And that was just really interesting to me because my experience with curfews is learning about apartheid. So... You know, you got to see completely unnecessarily unnecessary violence. You got to see the creative techniques that protesters had. They had cemented their arms together so that you couldn't break them apart. Right, um, right. That was quite interesting to me. We also see the other side where the delegates that are coming together that have good intentions, they're trying to educate people. Like you just see their hearts just breaking that they had this opportunity and it's gone, it's taken away from them because there are people who are upset and angry and want their voices to be heard, AKA the protesters, but you also see the people who don't have good intentions and what you know how quickly they throw people out and aren't willing to hear what citizens have to say about how they're actually fucking up the world. Mm. And you also get to see it from like a political point of view. And it, that's a lot of themes in one movie. Well, a lot of angles. A lot of angles. And you also see innocent innocent people being hurt. So I, I enjoyed the film, though. When I was walking in Seattle this past week, I was actually, I actually felt a little uneasy because the weather was similar to what it was in the movie. And um, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go down that alley because I, could, I recognized most of the scenery. Mm was maybe one or two scenes that I didn't know where it was happening, but most yeah, of the movie I could tell. Yeah, there a couple scenes that were filmed outside of Seattle. Oh, most well, then of it there was. we go. Yeah, so I'll just start to share really briefly my thoughts on, on the film. I think that you're, you say that you could tell that there was very well researched, and I would agree with that. Uh, Stuart Townsend did a, an exceptional job. Um, you know, he's not from here. You know, he has no personal connection as far as I know to everything that happened in, in this area. But he did research very well, more than, I, well, I won't say more than most cases, but uh, he even, for the most part, got the attitudes down, right? Which is mm. most people who are not from this area fail to get attitudes, right, of people in the Seattle area, even people in power. There are a couple of examples that I bristle at that weren't quite, that are just a little bit off. Mm. But, you know, I think... This is a, a, a good step, good first step for a director. I don't think it's a great film. I think it's, a, and it is the only film that I'm aware of that is about this subject matter. And so it's definitely worth checking out yeah. because it is uh, an important piece, not only a, about like Pacific Northwest history, I suppose, uh, modern history, but also about like protest uh, and civil disobedience history. Things, uh, to clarify, things do get way out of hand. It became an absolute nightmare downtown. The way, and part of it is because anarchists get, got involved and made things less obedient, less civil, and also the police uh, were just struggling to keep control. And, mm. and you know, the protesters were preventing WTO members from attending conferences and stuff so that's why a lot of things went went uh, out of hand mm. but 
I think there's a couple things that this movie could have improved on. One, it does make a strange choice of having the characters of real people who existed. Like there was a Governor Gary Locke oh, yeah. type character, like who is cast a uh, Asian American. There is a a mayor character mm-hmm. um, that one's played by Ray Liotta. But they changed the names for some reason, and I'm not sure uh, that that felt necessary. I, I wonder do. if it was just something that they had to do in order to make the film. Uh, I don't know, but I feel that it creates a bit of a disconnect and doesn't help the movie. I wish that was the only like issue of the movie. More importantly, there's not really much in way of character and, and emotional connection to hang the film on. I think the movie would have been much more powerful and would have gotten a lot more attention if we had were given more of a connection to some of the characters. There's a lot of different characters that mm. tries to take the issue from a lot of different angles. And I think that has been done before in other stories mm-hmm. to greater success. And I think that's one thing that this film could have used. I think if they had done that, though, they wouldn't have time to show what they showed, if that makes sense. Uh, and I don't know that that's necessarily true. I mean, the movie's not... Because I, I think they were trying to show how all the different parties felt in this situation. Yeah, I mean, the movie's not much longer than 90 minutes, you know? I mean, I felt a strong connection to Charlize. Well, okay. And... Would you have if she wasn't pregnant? Probably because she's South African. <laughs> Yeah. But no, I between that couple, yeah, I, I did have a connection with them. That couple being Woody Harrelson, and, who plays a cop, yeah, and uh, Charlize Theron, who plays a, re, a retailer downtown, like Macy's type mm. retailer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway, that's that's a battle in Seattle, and I think you can find it on Amazon Prime uh, if you're interested in, in seeking out yourself. Next, we saw A Ghost Story, which was a film from last year starring Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara and practically nobody else, really. <laughs> and it was directed by David Lowry. Now, David Lowry is a fairly recent director up and coming. He made a film I, uh, with Casey Affleck and I think Rooney Mara also um, I didn't get to see called Ain't Them Body Saints. He also did the remake of Pete's Dragon, which I, I thought was actually quite good and better than the original. And now he did A Ghost Story, which is a small, very quiet film about a couple. The man dies, and he comes back to the house as a ghost in all, like, a sheet with two, two circles for the eyes. You don't mm-hmm. see the eyes. You, you just don't see, see limbs. You don't see anything. He's mm-hmm. completely covered in um, a sheet. And he uh, the, basically the story follows him in the house as time passes. I won't say anything more about that. I am curious, Shanna, without getting into too many like plot detail specifics, mm. what did you think of A Ghost Story? I thought it was an intricate, slow story of grief. Mm. It was so creatively shot i mean the format changes throughout the film depending on what's happening the lighting when you say the format what do you mean oh like it's like you know it's it's square and then it becomes wide shot you're talking about the aspect ratio the aspect ratio yeah i mean 
it's like an artist's dream mm. like a photographer's dream to watch like mm. if you're just started art school and you saw this film you'd be like oh my god it's gonna influence me forever <laughs> because they really do go through a variety of of techniques to express what's being felt mm. and what's happening and at times it's like oh my god do we really need to sit here watching this particular action happen for this long but it makes sense because you have these really long acts happening and then you have really short acts Mm. and it's all contributing to the greater story of what it could be like to be a lost spirit and it's great because it's making you question I love anything that makes you question what happens next Mm. you know after your death and could this be the case could that be the case and you know what are you gonna do and it also makes you it's supposed to make you appreciate life Mm. really and it made me appreciate appreciate the now and it's funny because like the next day i don't know if there's any Grey's anatomy fans out there but there's this line that meredith gray uses where you think that you have time you think that there's going to be tomorrow but there's only now and there might not be be a tomorrow and that's like it's it's hard because we get so wrapped up in our lives trying to get through things and so when you watch a film like this you're reminded hey just slow the fuck down Mm. and enjoy that you're alive and that you can do things and that you're in a body and it's it's really it's lovely it makes me want to cry just thinking about that i really enjoyed this film i thought it was just amazing and beautiful yeah so this is a film that was one of those that critics just absolutely loved it ended up being on a lot of top 10 of the year lists uh, at the end of the Mm, year it would have been on mine and i could see why i i think this is two-thirds of a great film it was in contention of being among the best of the decade kind of great like you know if you make a 50 or 100 list of um, best of the decade until the there is a twist that happens two-thirds of the way and it takes a turn and that's when the movie kind of lost me for a little bit but the rest of it is absolutely solid it is one of the most beautiful and touching films about grief and loss this is a film where Sound design, lighting, oh my God, and lighting. score yes. are crucial to the story. You know, so make sure when you watch this that you have decent speakers um, on because the score sometimes drives a scene forward. We should say there is very little dialogue in this film. There is dialogue, but not much. I mean, you might, I want to say there's maybe a total of 20 minutes of dialogue in the entire film. If you were to splice it all together. That's possible. You know, this film is, is the story is mostly told through, uh, I don't want to say pantomime, but I mean, a lot of it is Casey Affleck under the sheet, just standing, watching things or moving around and looking at things, you know, and it, it is a great example of less being more. Well, it's so interesting how they show time moving forward. Uh, yes. Oh my yes. god, that was beautiful. Yeah. So if you're a fan of like how time is depicted, like that's the movie for you. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah. to an extent for me, but yes, especially in the first two-thirds of the film. 
so yeah, that's a ghost story, which we highly recommend seeking out. I think it's still on Amazon Prime. At Go this watch point. it now. Yeah, it's one of those totally that, worth it. Yeah, everybody kind of missed, and they need to seek it out right now. I am very upset though that Why? it wasn't nominated for cinematography because I thought that that was. Mm. That needed yeah. some sort of mention. Yeah, did you feel like it was better than a lot of the nominees? Well, it wasn't better than Blade Runner. Blade Runner still right. needed to win, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it could have been included. Definitely. All right, so lastly, we watched A Serious Man by the Coen Brothers from 2009. This stars Michael Stuhlbarg, and essentially it's a allegory for the Book of Job, very loosely. Uh, a man in the 60s, suburbia, a uh, family man, he starts being basically put upon. He's put upon by his wife. He's put upon by his wife's lover. He's put upon by his kids. He's put upon by a student that, uh, you know, in his class that he teaches. You know, just one thing after <laughs> another happens, uh, happens to him. Shanna, I'm curious. This is, what, like your fifth or seventh Coen Brothers movie or something. Mm-hmm. What did you think of A Serious Man? Well, no one does bizarre, fucked up, one in a trillion chances better than <laughs> the Coen Brothers. Okay. They're so good at it. And I think they, you can tell that they're just having a thrilling time when they do a story, mm. you know. Because of that, like I get these realizations while watching those kinds of films. I thought it was a fine film. Performances are always amazing, no mm. matter what the Coen Brothers are doing. Without being like amazing, like they they're yeah, just doing they're like yeah. oh my god, that's so funny, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's just really thoroughly enjoyable and thoroughly confusing and bizarre mm. at times, all at the same time, all the time. But yes, so because of this bizarreness, I always have these realizations. Like I realized, you know, this is so heavily set in a religious community setting, so the Jewish uh, yeah, Jewish setting, Jewish yeah, yeah. which, as I have always understood, is a very strong community mm. with very strong ties to each other and to tradition and religion and all the other things. But I realized, you know... That rabbi, I mean, they are... Which rabbi? There's any, three rabbis. Anyone. Okay. What I'm talking about, the general rabbi, the general spiritual leader mm-hmm. in a community in, in like a church-like setting. That must be a difficult job, man. I mean, mm-hmm. to get new material every weekend, sometimes two or three sessions oh, a weekend. To speak in front of people. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. You must have to, like, mine for information. You know, to have anecdotes and stories to tell all the time because it was story after story after story. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you could tell the differences between those three rabbis. You know, you had a very young out of rabbi school, I guess. You know, you had uh, Simon Halberg, who I love seeing in bits and pieces, but I also wouldn't mind watching him for an extended period of time. You know, he's just come out of rabbi school and he has one story, just one. And he's trying so hard to make that story work for the main character's issue. And he's just, it's not working. He needs to go get life experience. And then, you know, you get the, the, you know, the little older you know, rabbi. Yeah, who's, who's played by a guy from Spaceballs. I, I, I oh, can't remember that's fun. his name. He played one of the main Spaceball generals. Mm-hmm. I always forget his name, but he was 
he was great in it. I can't get it really, really quickly, but go ahead. But, I mean, then you tell, like, okay, the story's a little more, you know, helpful for his situation. Kind of, except it doesn't have an answer like, that he's looking for. Right? Well, and it's always, like, anytime you go to a spiritual leader within whatever... George Weiner is oh, his name. Yes. Uh, within whatever, you know, religion or, you know, spiritual practice, it's always going to be essentially this open-ended story where you have to make your own interpretation. And if you're so stressed with the amount of shit you have to deal with in your life and you need an answer, you're not going to be able to get to that quiet place to figure out the answer, you know, because... So it was just really funny. And then the third rabbi just can't even (laughs) anymore. He's just... He just wants to deal with the newcomers into the religion after their bar mitzvahs, you know, and like... Be a good boy. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Be happy you're He's alive. incredibly unavailable. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what else did you think of the film? I, I really loved the bizarreness of it. Mm-hmm. Like, the wife. Yes, the wife who uh, has an affair mm-hmm. on Michael Stuhlbarg's main character and feels like he's being very unreasonable. <laughs> yeah. he can even react. Well, and she claims it's not even, like, it hasn't been a physical affair. It's more like a a mental, spiritual affair with yeah, each other. I, I don't, I wanted to believe her, <laughs> you know, because, you know, like, to me, she felt like she was very serious about her beliefs. So, mm. and I loved the children. The children were ridiculous, but also really, you know, realistic. You get more realistic. of the son than the daughter, actually. I think the daughter hardly had any, any screen time. Yeah, but she was realistic, like a realistic depiction of a teenage girl, you know. Yeah. Um, and the teenage boy was fun, and the ending was just, what the fuck? So yeah. it was great. I, I enjoyed it. And how did it compare to other Coen Brothers films that you've seen? Well, I recently watched Burn After Reading as well, mm-hmm. and that was bizarrely beautiful fucked up okay. as well. Comparatively, it was enjoyable watching both of them so close together uh-huh. because... You know, their films are always beautiful. Beautifully okay. lit. It has a fun story. It makes you question life. And and performances are always really great. And yeah. they have, they're really good at taking bits and pieces and putting it into a cohesive timeline mm. and plot where everything's going to work out. It's not confusing. It's not, you know, everything, every gear is working well together. Mm. If that makes sense. You brought up how beautifully lit it is and such. And Mm -hmm. it brought to mind, you know, it's one of a few Coen Brothers films that are actually done by Roger Deakins, uh, the cinematography. Which one? Burn After Reading? Uh, Burn After Reading and A Serious Man. Oh, okay. That makes Uh, sense. Well, actually, sorry. I'm mistaken. I think Burn After Reading was the one that Roger Deakins didn't do. But he did own oh, A Serious Man and several others of those films. That's interesting because if you pay close attention to all the elements that make up the cinematography in Burn After Reading, you mm. can tell it's that much brighter. Mm. It's not usually, their work isn't usually that bright. Mm. So, yeah. Interesting. So I will say, well, I did not like Burn After Reading. A Serious Man is one of my probably five favorite Coen Brothers movies. I have seen all of their films except for Intolerable Cruelty. And honestly, I haven't really, like, un- unless I want to be a completist about it, 
I haven't really heard anybody say, oh my god, you have to see Intolerable Cruelty. Mm -hmm. That always seems like one of the lesser films in their filmography. But I have seen all of the others. I have like a, a hit hit or miss ratio experience with Coen Brothers, mm -hmm. where like there's a lot that, uh, there's a few I love, there's a lot I like, but there's a lot I'm not a fan of. You know, then you might feel differently about some of them, like Blood Simple, if you were to see, like the crime-centered ones, you might actually really like more than me. You know, I know you love Fargo, for example. I think Fargo um, is probably my favorite one. And I think you like No Country for Old Men, if I'm not mistaken, also. I mean, yeah, but I'm not going to watch it off as often as I would Fargo. Yeah. Uh, for me, like, this definitely is among the, the top five for me. I absolutely love it. I think it's hilarious. I think Cy Abelman is one of the greatest Coen Brother characters. He's just hilarious. He's so loving and just happy to be here. He has this, he literally has this way of speaking that's like a sigh, you know? He's just very, like, <laughs> you know, he's very soft-spoken. And he feels like everything he says is reasonable. And, yes, you know, because of his tone. Right, So yes. it's like next time we, we, we have a heated discussion with our son, we should just channel sigh like put our <laughs> hand on his like, you know. no you know <laughs> everything's gonna end up being okay but not the best decision you've made thus far <laughs> right. let's try better next time actually it might be really freaking effective <laughs> so Fred Melamed is the actor who plays Cy Abelman and he's fantastic he, uh, he also went on to play in that movie with Lake Bell about the voice actors uh, oh in yes another, in, in, in another world or something like that um, in a world in a world yeah yeah that, which is a great uh, comedy but I, I think this is a hilarious film. I think if you... It, it's also one where you can scratch at the surface and get a lot of interesting depth to it, especially if you understand that it's um, allegory for the Book of Job and if you research what the Book of Job is about and all that sort of stuff, it's really interesting. Also, this is their most personal work because it is... Mm. Like, they, they grew up in the suburbs, or I think in the same state that this takes place in... You know, Minnesota. Jewish, yeah, Jewish suburbs and stuff, Jewish community. You know, so this is a little bit more of a personal workout uh, more than any of their other stuff. I think it, it pays off really well. It's, I think, unfortunately, one of their least seen, even though it is one of their only Best Picture nominees. So definitely seek it out. A Serious Man uh, may, might be on Netflix, actually. Uh, yeah, I think so. All right, so with that, that was our Week in Review. Let's move on to the main event, which is a review of Ready Player One. And that was a trailer by Shanna for Ready <laughs> okay, Player One. Okay, but here it is for real. <laughs> My name's Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego. Like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. But he died when I was a kid. My mom too. And I ended up here. Sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis. whole virtual universe. 
come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. But they stay because of all the things they can be. Can you feel this? Yeah. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything. The Oasis was the brainchild of James Halliday. Hello. If you're watching this, I'm dead. I created a hidden object, an Easter egg. The first person to find the egg will inherit half a trillion dollars and total control of the Oasis itself. Who is this Parzival? And how the hell is he winning? Find him. talking about actual life and death stuff. The Oasis, the world's most important economic resource. It's nothing less than a war. We're controlling the future. And that was from the trailer for Ready Player One. Now, Shanna, first of all, when we do our main event, and it's a main review, what we like to do is break it down into three different sections. First, we like to focus on the good. What do we like about a movie? Sometimes that can be more challenging than thinking about what we didn't like about a movie. So it's really important to start out with praise and, and the positive. So then we do move into what we didn't like about a movie, what's bad about a movie, before opening up to any general thoughts or discussion. And then we move on to spoilers and final thoughts. So, Shanna, this is a Steven Spielberg film. We uh, saw the post in the winter, which he rushed out while uh, Ready Player One was in post-production, knowing that that was going to be released later this year. So he had kind of a one-two punch of Spielbergness. First of all, what are your thoughts on Spielberg's career as of late? And how does Ready Player One fit into that? And then talk a little bit about what you liked about it. I really enjoy Steven Spielberg's work. Am I going to watch all of his movies? No. Mm. I don't think I'm ever going to watch Lincoln. It's just... Oh, it's so good, it, though. It does not interest me. And that might be more about... I, I don't want to see his face. What's his, his face? face? What's his face's name? <laughs> what, Daniel Day-Lewis? Yeah, I really... I'm not... It's just one of those faces I don't want to see. What? I don't know why. There's obviously something like subconsciously being set off in my mind. Okay. Like, and then I have my loves. Like, I, I, I love my Jurassic Park. Sure. You know, yeah. and I love, I love a bunch of others, which we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. But how did I feel about this one? And how do I feel about what he's doing now? I think he should keep creating until he's in the grave, you know? Okay. Like, let's just whip him into, <laughs> make more! So you feel so, like he's not done yet? I, I don't think he is. is definitely a statement towards that? I mean, not necessarily. Okay. I, I think that Ready Player One, for him, I think he, he had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I would imagine he had a lot of fun. And, I want to see the man have a lot of fun, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. because then I'll probably enjoy watching whatever it is. Yeah. Is it like an eye-opening commentary on the world we live in today and can virtual reality be compared to what we do on our phones right now and how we should rather parent and put out the fire that's happening in the kitchen rather than tell our child to go get the father who's probably also on the phone, uh, sorry, virtual reality. Yeah, I mean, listen, with Steven Spielberg stuff, mm. it's however much you want to read into it, that's what you'll get out of it. Mm. So if you want to take the time to read into how this, effect, how this is related to your life or life in general, 
go ahead and do it. But if you're just going to sit there and expect to be spoon fed, that like this, then stop watching his work. Really? Well, that's, that's how I feel about it. And maybe I'm a little like defending him and hmm, whatever, but his movies are what you make of it. Okay. That's how I feel. Interesting. How about you? So I would slightly disagree with you as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. As far as his his career and his films, I think I'll, I'll get into some of the specifics of how I disagree as it pertains to Ready Player One in the next segment of this. But I would say that his work is sometimes best when he is having fun. When there is fun to be had on screen. Let's say. And I don't think he's really been doing that much lately. I think this is his most fun film, popcorn film, Mm -hmm. since Minority Report. That, I have to admit, is a long time ago at this point. That's that's 16 years now. Oh, God. Yeah. And I, I, I definitely had the most fun with this film over everything else he's made in recent years. I really feel like his late period right now, which is mostly dramas of some kind, you know, more real stories mm-hmm. or human stories, I feel like more often than not, their misses or, or really low end Spielberg films or mid range Spielberg quality, and definitely not him at his best. Uh, we've talked about, I don't remember in what episode it was. But we talked about, I really feel like Lincoln and The Post, it might have been our review of The Post or what have you, that those two were the highlights of his work this decade. I would add Ready Player One, but with some caveats that I'll get into later. So, but otherwise, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of Spielberg, and we'll talk more about that in film faves. So what did you like about Ready Player One? So here's what I liked. I liked the visual effects. I thought they were great. Mm. This is such a difficult question for me. Okay. I am really having a hard time with it. Really? So does because that mean that as your introductory thoughts, you're not necessarily a fan of this movie? It's not that. Okay. It's that I like a I like a bunch of spoiler things actually. Okay. So I guess my general thought, general like about the film is I thought it was really fun how they interwove all these different licensing Mm -hmm. franchises and all these different things I mean there's video games in there there's movies in there there's Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure TV shows are in there somewhere too there's just there's so much Mm -hmm. and like really what we'd have to do is watch it all like the battle scene we'd have to watch that in slow motion right in order to just really take it in yeah is that a little upsetting to me that it was all moving so fast? It's a little upsetting, but I also know that they were trying to shove so much into such a short space of time. Sure. What's nice, a nice contrast to that is Wreck-It Ralph. You can see everything very clearly yeah. because it's different, it's different cinematography. It's all lit and light. Both CGI, though. Yeah, but different feels, right? You've got, you've got a Disney movie marketed at kids it's got to be light and bright and then you've got you know ready player one which is supposed to be of dystopian influence right most Um, of the worlds are not bright in the oasis that we focus on yeah but what's nice about when it's bright you can actually see what's going on yeah yeah 
so there would be times where I thought I saw something, uh-huh. but I'm not sure. Right. So I definitely would want to watch it again in the cinema because it is there is so much happening, mm-hmm. so many different characters. I get a kick out of characters, you know, coming in. I really enjoyed the soundtrack, the score. Really? Every time something happened that was sort of Back to the Future-ish. Oh, yeah, the score by Alan Silvestri. Yeah. yeah, there were these very slight tones of what the music was like well, here, in Back to the Future. Pieces of it. Yeah. yeah, and just alter it a bit. And that was, oh, I really like that. I was more excited about hearing that than seeing a character I recognized. Okay, actually. that's interesting. Okay. So, and then the rest of what I liked is in the spoiler section, really. Okay, we'll definitely dive in. Um, maybe we'll have a bigger spoiler section than, than our upfront section. So, for me, I think, I... I I do think that this is one of his best films this decade. It's definitely one of his. It's definitely his most fun film of this decade. I was really kind of disappointed by BFG, which is oh, one yeah. of my favorite stories by Roald Dahl, and it just ended up kind of being okay. And but this is probably my favorite of his films with Mark Rylance. I liked. I actually liked Mark Rylance in this film, who plays the creator of the Oasis, which is this big, huge pop culture playground that people can enter into virtually, right, with their with some equipment. I think this is a, a dizzying spectacle. This is mm-hmm. a movie that is made for people my age and younger, people who grew up since the '80s. They're going to know these properties these movies especially several of these video games that are that are in there they're going to also understand like the advent of and the rise of xbox and the uh, multiplayer aspect of video games where you can connect and you can be avatars or you can you can interact in these different worlds right then the people my age and younger are going to have a better understanding and therefore a better appreciation of of this film right and what it's the playground and the world that it's building i think speaking of that the world of the oasis is i think very well realized and um and there's a lot of attention that's been focused more on the 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 world of the oasis and i think that's one of the thing reasons why there's a lot of fun to it You know, you have different set pieces throughout the film, and I don't think necessarily any of those set pieces weren't enjoyable to be in. You know, uh, I had a blast with a large amount of, of this film. I think I liked Olivia Cook, who is the female lead in this uh, in the film. Ben Mendelsohn is an interesting guy. He's a guy who strikes me as a very serious actor, but then you see him hitting like one franchise after another being like the villain in practice i think he's trying to be in every single franchise i don't think i've seen him in a marvel movie it could yet be a, but it could be a good strategy I, I think it's like you know soon enough we'll see him as a villain in a marvel movie or something in fact i think he is i think he's going to be in captain marvel now that i think about no, it i you don't know? want to see him in captain marvel well as a villain so you know he was in rogue one a star wars story and, and this and and oh i think something else too he's an interesting guy he plays a character who's kind of like the corporate side of video gaming he wants to commercialize everything he wants 
80% of your vision to be full of advertising when you're in the Oasis, he wants to make a buck as much as possible. And uh, he's not, he doesn't strike you as a very genuine dude. Well, he's not. Right? And I think he's fine as, as that kind of one-dimensional uh, villain, you know? Um, he's ex as acceptable as a one-dimensional villain can be. I think T.J. Miller is hilarious as a kind of a henchman to the villain. You never actually see T.J. Miller. You only see his avatar in the Oasis. But he's he has some <laughs> great, great lines. I like the rest of the supporting cast as well. So I like the world it's building. I like... Uh, what the film is doing on a surface level. I like the characters. I like the visuals. I think the, the visuals are uh, incredible, and I think the whole CGI of it all is, you know, I think someone I listened to recently pointed out that it takes what you see in Avatar and basically builds on top of that. Mm. And I think that's, that's accurate, and, and that's actually one of the, the successes of the film. Shanna, what was the bad? What didn't you like about Ready Player One? This is also a, diff a difficult question for me. I have spoiler things okay. that, you know, that I didn't like. It's more about, like, what could have been better? I feel like they needed another consultant to maybe just, like, a consultant of some kind to just come in, look at the, the script, and be like, okay, but have you thought about having this kind of xyz represented represented have you thought of this being dealt with have you thought of commenting on this can you can you uh well can I get more specific yeah but not obviously you're trying not to be too specific but can you like explain like what wasn't represented necessarily are you speaking in terms of uh, diversity are you speaking of something in in video games or or, or the, the the kinds of things that it's trying to reference. What 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 do you like? Can you be more specific about those things that you're saying? I feel like diversity needed to happen here. It wasn't really? up to my satisfaction. Really, it should have been a little different. Interesting. It does not need. Anyway, we'll get there. You, so you didn't feel the cast was diverse enough. It's not that. Okay. It, I'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay. And, and some of the other things that you were saying that could have been better? Oh, some of the things are just, like, really stupid, stereotypical shit. Like, Artemis's character says, you would be disappointed if you saw me in real life. Mm -hmm. Bitch, please. Like, it's really not that bad. Because and, she's actually quite beautiful. And that irritated me to mm. no end. It really did. It's not like she had... She really wasn't. She was physic. She was stereotypically beautiful, actually. Well, and I mean, she has a birthmark that covers a quarter of her face, and while it's obvious to us, like, you know, you're still really fucking cute. I could see how young women would be insecure about that. <sighs> any sort of thing along those lines. Uh huh. I mean, do you not find that that's valid? Look, everybody has their own insecurities, mm -hmm. but I feel like maybe I just wanted more. Like, maybe I wanted her to be handicapped. Maybe I wanted her to be... Chuck? 
this 300 pound man <laughs> in a basement. I just I wanted something that would bring more depth to it. Mm, like okay. maybe she actually got scarred. Maybe she got burnt on half her body. You know, maybe Jesus. she was a woman <laughs> who was speaking up for herself in one of the Middle Eastern countries, and she actually Middle got acid, and she got acid thrown in her huh. uh, her direction. I mean, what if she was just homely? You know, what? wouldn't that wouldn't that be satisfying? But we've seen that so much. We've seen homely women on on uh, screen as the main character. When you say homely. What are you referring to specifically? Well, the very definition of homely, you know, usually very plain looking, maybe, um, you know, not conventionally attractive at all. Is that is that what you look for? I mean, when someone... I don't know. She could have been a little overweight, okay. you know, like, or not even overweight, like a little over her body mass index. Sure. That would okay. have been amazing for me. Okay, okay. You know? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Like, don't tell me so you want we're going to be disappointed. So you up, Olivia Cook. I do. Like, don't tell me that we're going to be so disappointed by you. Okay. And right. then you show up looking like that. Hmm. Was there anything else you didn't like about the movie? No. I no? Maybe something in spoilers later. Okay. So, uh, so for me, let's see here. I do have a couple things that are definitely spoilery. Mm-hmm. Actually, most of my issues with the movie are spoilery. <laughs> I have to do with the third act. But so yeah. I do, I will say one thing. I feel like there is a lot more interest in developing the world of the Oasis mm-hmm. and less interest in developing the real world. You know, and, and I think, like, when I got out of the movie, I, I definitely had a good time. I enjoyed myself, but I had this fuzzy feeling that I couldn't, and not a warm fuzzy, but, like, this kind of hazy feeling of I can't put my finger on the movie entirely. And I think one of the problems, I think that that is usually a, a indication that there's problems, but okay. I just can't quite nail it down. Hmm. I eventually did nail down some of it. But one of them is, I think, the fact that you don't really get a really strong sense of the real world society. At first, you're just introduced to the stacks, and you kind of think that the stacks is what the world is, but then you realize that the stacks is actually just the poor community mm. later on in the film. Because then you get closer to Oasis, head, well, the headquarters. Well, and they, they are referred to as a particular area of mm. the city, right? And so I don't think you get a full understanding of what society looks like what what the rest of the world is and how does the oasis affect the rest of the world is it just a part of society that even cares about the oasis you know because just like only a part of society really cares about video games or different aspects of movie culture and stuff you know i'm not fully given a clear understanding of how where we are in society in 2045 Mm -hmm. and how the Oasis affects it, if it does at all. So I think, like, um, Steven Spielberg, one of the greatest world builders uh, in uh, cinema, could have benefited from making a little bit more sense. Or at least Zach Penn, who's the writer, could have maybe had a draft that explained a little bit more it does like literally jump right into the oasis within the first three minutes of mm. the film. You get introduced to the main character. He literally is kind of working his way down out of the stacks and jumps right into his oasis machine, you know? 
and that's what that that's where we spend our time i guess something they could have done was just you know turn it up a bit showing that the world is more grim and dark than you think because mm. you raise a good point i mean later on they they end up away from the stacks and they're in like a truck right so we're stuck not seeing what the world looks like so i think yeah, you have a good droids point. flying around too and it seems like droids must be commonplace because no one pays a fucking uh, mind to a droid flying around with a camera or you know scanning delivering for a package. id or delivering a package delivering right. a pizza that right. was kind of fun right exactly exactly so i can say at this point that that the world building could have been improved on and maybe even with that have a better understanding on this corporation ioi which is supposed to be the second most successful corporation second to oh what is it called uh gregarious games mm. what their relationship to gregarious games and io uh, uh, sorry and the oasis is because it seems really important to ioi that they get control of that corporation in order to become the number one right but they also seem to have a great effect on things like you get put into these these stations what are they called loyalty centers i want to know like what is a loyalty center what does it mean when you're put in a loyalty center they show eventually but i don't think it was fully it's not really set clear. up yeah. it's like oh, you, you put your iTunes account on a credit card and the credit has been paid, and so now you're going to be put into a loyalty center to work off your credit. But why right. do you need physical labor right. in a virtual reality when and, you can just have coders? And you're literally a slave. You, you cannot leave this thing. Like, where are all the shocked. software engineers? Right, right. That's what I want to know. Yeah, Because, yeah. you know, like, I, I've been fortunate enough to go and have a tour of uh, Valve software in, mm -hmm. yeah, in Bellevue. And man, it is such a beautiful experience. And yeah, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful company. And it's so nice. And you, you see software engineers. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then it gets more specific. Like, you know, you've got the, the internet engineers and you've got... All you the know, different departments. All the different departments. And yeah. everybody has like three computer screens. And it's very... It's, it's not like sterile, but it's... It's very different, and you don't see anything similar to that yeah. in Ready Player One. Right. So are all the software engineers, are they all at the other company? Right. Like, but surely that, like, IOI needs to have software engineers. Right? Yeah. Like, are they so stupid, and do they lack the resources that they can't afford software engineers, so they have to have these loyalty centers? Yeah. Like, it's... That is a bit of a, a faulty thing for me. I'd, I'd be curious yeah. to hear what software engineers think of that. Yeah. So world buildings are, are, are one of our biggest issues with the film without getting into too many specifics with the second half of the film, or I'm sure, I assume, exist in the second half of the film. What sort of other general thoughts did you have about the movie? Did it uh, raise, did it have some interesting things that you wanted to bring up that happened or... I guess it was just a really neutral film for me. Like you said, it was like popcorn. Mm -hmm. You know, I just wanted to have a good time. And I, I did have a good time. Yeah. And that's, you know... It's, it's yeah. worth watching, especially if you're a geek. Mm -hmm. Oh, something that's... You know, before we go on, something that's interesting is like, okay, well, now is everybody in the world a geek? 
Like, well, I, I, you know, that's And has it broken into even smaller fandoms? Mm. Like, I know you, we already have smaller fandoms yeah. that exist within the geek culture, but yeah. but now is everybody admitting they're a geek? And, like, the CEO, the, what is that character's name that's, like, the bad guy, the villain? Oh, yeah. Well, um, is he the only one that still wants to, like, beat up on geeks? You know, like... <laughs> Who is he actually? And like, who is everyone else? Yeah, like, is Sorrento the only one that just doesn't get geek culture and wants to be part of it and no one wants to be his friend and help him be exposed to geek culture? Like, I don't understand. That's a question I have. Is everybody a geek? Well, that's interesting because. Because you don't see people doing anything else. Yeah, that's true. But I think, like, that's an interesting mirror to our current, where we are now. Um, I think. I think geek culture has been so pervasive now. It's not so much a fringe thing as it was in the 80s or mm. the 90s. I think since the turn of the century, it's grown steadily to be such a pervasive thing. Video game culture isn't so much a fringe thing. It's much more mainstream now, right? And the same thing with comic book culture. Comic cons are cool, popular things to have gone to and experienced. People know now and think that superhero movies are really cool in general. You know, I mean, otherwise, if that wasn't the case, they wouldn't make four hundred million dollars at the box office. You know, I th- and and now like things like you think about social media and everything. Like technology used to be something that only a small percentage of people understood and got. Now, everybody, by necessity in a way, has to understand technology to an extent. And now they have phones that aren't just phones. They are computers, and they use them every single day, every single hour with different programs and stuff. So I think that you raise an interesting point, maybe inadvertently, but I think like the film is actually kind of a, a mirror of our current society and where we've come, where, yeah, geek... um, uh, geeks, geek culture is popular culture now, mm. you know, and so as uh, as a result, or maybe people popular. feel like they can embrace it. Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't right. Know. Yeah. Um, well, go ahead. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention? No, I guess I'm ready to move on. Okay, so for those who haven't seen the film, I will sum up my thoughts by saying this is definitely like a seven out of ten film for me. It's fun. You'll enjoy yourself, especially if you're a certain demographic. Kids are definitely going to have a lot of fun with it. It's just not perfect. And from what I understand, it comes from a heavily flawed source material, and uh, and the film doesn't quite overcome those flaws. And I think part of it's because it's co-scripted by the author also. But Zach Penn does do a lot of things right but it's not among Spielberg's great greatest films is that um, about how you feel as well yeah um, it's not the greatest but it's also not the worst yeah so awesome so from here on out we're going to talk spoilers for ready player one Shanna go I fucking love The Shining 
Oh, the shining so, sequence. That yes. was that was like the best part of the movie for me. Okay. Because it was it like you know seeing all the characters that you recognize is like thrilling. Sure. It's 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 fun. Yeah. But then you see, oh my god, they're gonna go into the shining, yeah. and and the one character doesn't know what he's getting into, right. and it's gonna be so funny when he finally realizes what's happening, right. and oh my god, why is he walking away from his friends? That's yeah. not what you're supposed to do. Right. Oh my god, here come the elevators, the twins, the the yeah. ball, the 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 oh my god, the typewriter is going by itself, and yeah. oh my god, it's not Jack Nicholson with an axe, it's just giant fucking axes everywhere. Well, I, I will say. I got the impression that there is a character that you see barely on screen. He's like to the side of camera mm-hmm. that I that is carrying like an axe when they get into the maze. I think it's supposed to be Jack Torrance, but mm-hmm. he's like barely there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is like the greatest hits of The Shining, like you know, all encapsulated into like a 10, 15 minute. Uh, segment. Yeah. Well, and I loved how everyone in the cinema was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we had a really good time because we were like, we should take Logan. Oh, my God. It's going to be so great when he sees The Shining. And, right, you just know. Just because we take a lot of glee and scare in the show. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. We only yeah. get a few things. <laughs> Besides from that enjoyment, my next thoroughly enjoyed part was when all the Sixers went into that world. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, obviously the axe happened and just yeah. everybody was like terrified and right. like if that's your job like that, does that sit with you for a while? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like what happens to the employees? Do they get a reset time just to get their PTSD. psyche? Yeah. yeah, just to get their psyche back on track because it's supposed to feel really Doesn't look real. Like it. it looks like they have to quickly get to the next Jesus, pod. those poor things <laughs> are going to die by the age of like 32. <laughs> so, anyway, that was That does seem to be where like the movie has its peak joy. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that section, that is a good point. However, I do think the car race sequence is, is absolute, like, fun, uh. too, you know, because it's a, it's a mix of having these POVs of these cars racing around, mm-hmm. but also having a mix of, like, different references in mm-hmm. there, different things that you can recognize in there, uh, too. And that's a lot of, that was a lot of fun as well. Oh, the um, the final battle sequence. Speaking in terms of things that that we liked, that's spoilery. I think the the final battle sequence was just absolutely <laughs> rousing. Yeah. I mean, it was really kind of cool when the when all of the other people in the oasis start m- rushing, marching, like stepping like, up. Like yeah, start running mm-hmm. towards. I don't even know what that that tower or fortress is called, but. The fortress where uh, the villain is, and they have the cube, and we didn't even mention in our main review this quest that they have to go on. I thought that was just super exciting. All these different characters, and it is dizzying because you're trying also to like recognize all of these different things, as many mm. things as possible, partially because it allows you to have something to connect to, you know, and, and it gives you something to care about while you're watching this battle sequence right otherwise mm-hmm. it's just like why to an extent there's a little bit of why 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 do i care if there's nothing in it that i care about or nobody in it that i care about but there's some brilliant awesome cool things in it like one of, actually one of the benefits of the movie is it touches on video game tropes designs really well like how you have different items you can get or mm-hmm. you can earn the ability to um, be 
a machine for a while or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like kind of, it's a kind of like a leveling up in a way, you know, a lot like how Mario will level, will have, he will suddenly be able to be a raccoon. So you have these items like the Chucky doll and other uh, really cool things that add to the fun and enjoyment. The Iron Giant, the Mecha Godzilla, which I, as soon as like he, the the villain Ben Mendelsohn pulled it out of his pocket, I was like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be Mecha Godzilla. I was like, holy cow, because. I know that that's going to be amazing. And it kind of was. And it was actually, I was actually really struck by how it dwarfed the Iron Giant even. Although, if I'm the Iron Giant, I'm going to use every power I have as the Iron Giant. Or any character like that, right? So if I use the laser beams to take out something like a tank, you better believe I'm going to use the laser beams to take out something like Mecha Godzilla for crying out loud, right? So that was kind of like, what? why aren't you... What the hell? But it was still really, really cool. You know, a lot of fun watching all that. And I got a lot of joy out of, out of that. That's, that's Spielberg at his best. You know, having, having fun. You know, that's Spielberg's popcorn thrills. You know? I actually did find it also kind of touching at the end when, and, and maybe this is really cheesy, but when um, at the end, after everything, and Simon Pegg shows up, and Tyler Sheridan says to him, "You know, you're actually you're actually the the key, not not his, not the girl. Uh, one of the things he regretted most was losing you as a friend. Like, and this is really more of a testament to Simon Pegg's performance. But he actually takes a beat where he's like, mm. you can t- see that he's touched." And he's trying hard, and that, you know he's swallowing back tears or something like that. You know. I want to watch Star Trek now. I was actually really, <laughs> I was really touched by moments like that. There's mm. not a lot in this movie to have emotional engagement in. Yeah. In that way. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, but that was definitely, especially for a film that is about, like the entire point of it, the entire point of the journey and everything, is. To say that, yes, we have the, these awesome playgrounds we can have fun in, but what really matters is what's in the real world. Spending time with each other, you know? Not with our avatars, you know, or people from across the world, but with the people who mean the most to us in our lives. Well, I like that, you know, the five were so close to each other. Physically, they were so close to each other. I thought that was actually... A little oddly convenient. I forgot about that. But okay, that come on. You like, can't have. You can't have like. It's a movie, my love. There's yeah. only so much time. I mean, but like, doesn't it make more sense that someone's going to be across? One of them's going to be at least across the country, or someone's going to be in another kind. Uh, another country. I was just like, well, how odd that they all happen to be in Ohio. You know. Look. I, like, I know I'm kind of biased in this film, and maybe everybody is biased in this film, with the notion of, I want to see what I want to see. Like, okay. I would like to see X, Y, Z, you know? Okay. And what I, I liked that they had everybody so close together because for the longest time, you know, I related to what I've been through. I was living in Seattle and then I moved to Olympia and I really missed Seattle and mm-hmm. it took me two years to get used to living here mm. and it turns out that I have some really magnificent friends who were there all the time but I was having a hard time engaging with them so yeah it's a stretch to try and find 
you know, some meaning in that, but there it is. <laughs> so. Well, I, I'm just saying it's a stretch that the, the convenience that all these disparate characters happen to be in Ohio yes. Yes, 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 and yes. Columbus. But they only know. have so much time. And who knows, maybe there's an algorithm trying to keep them together you know, <laughs> based on location. So I'm maybe. just going to go, the software engineers, they're out there. Maybe, maybe. So, so another minor, here, here's where I start to get into my quibbles. Spoilery. A minor one first is, so you have this race. Um, right, this this um, you know they're they're trying to stop Tyler Sheridan from getting the egg and all that at all costs, and they end up in the stacks, which by the way Ben Mendelsohn had taken great pains to blow up a section of the stacks, right, hoping that it would kill the one person who had gotten anywhere in this overall competition in the Oasis, right. And so he goes there himself with a gun. And at first, ever the community's like, oh no, you didn't. You better not like start trouble, right? But as soon as he pulls out a gun, like these, I don't know, two, three dozen people back away. And you're like, okay, you made of tougher stuff than this dude in a suit. Why isn't the community just crowding him? It's one man with a gun pointed up in the air why don't you just all rush him why let him like why part the part the crowd and let him just walk through you guys on his way to shooting somebody point blank i think every time that you think of like what the hell you should think to yourself how does this relate to our real lives right now what makes you say that i don't know maybe it could be a comment like a comment on how most of the time we feel powerless to say anything, do anything. Like, what do you do in that situation? I don't think that what you're saying they should do is practical. I think you're giving Nobody wants to die for this kid. Hmm. Okay. Maybe. They want to try and stop him, but yeah. nobody wants to go as far as dying for him. Okay, that may be. But mm. I think you're giving a little bit too much credit saying that that's trying to be a statement on something. I think it's an example of... People behave a certain way because the script needs them to behave a certain way. Okay. You know? Sounds good. And it felt that way. You could kind of feel the mechanic there. But really my bigger issue, and I want to I want to hear what sort of issues you have, and maybe this touches on them, I don't know. But my bigger issue is Artemis. I think Artemis is a great character. I think um, Olivia Cook is a really appealing actress. I really liked her. I liked the reveal of, oh, Artemis is this person who's trying to lead a resistance, right? So here's the thing, though. What do they do? They make Artemis a damsel in distress. You know, she gets, like, as, like yeah. probably within 10 minutes after she's revealed to be a, a, a leader of a resistance, she gets captured by IOI and put into one of these loyalty centers where she is trapped, right? She can't get out. The only way she gets out is by having the, the male character, one way or another, come in to save her. And he puts all stop on everything. Yeah. Like, his priority is to save the girl, right? And that was a little bit disappointing. And yes, she gets free from him and does other things afterwards. But she kind of gets sidelined. She becomes less, less, not as strong as him, so to speak, right? He becomes the leader of the resistance, and not not side by side with her or 
her, or not, certainly not her, right? Mm. She kind of becomes background, sneaking around, you know, trying to do do her thing, and that was a that's a little disappointing, even though she has to a degree you could push back by saying she has some agency. You know, she decides not to stay, or she decides to stay at IOI and try to get in the Oasis to try to play the game or try to figure out one of the secrets, right, of the game. But still, there's a lot that's taken from her. What did you think of that? What did you think of the Artemis character in general? I I have thoughts. I mean, I already (laughs) told you about how I felt about the, oh, you'd be so disappointed. Oh, I mean, I'm fairly disappointed by her. Okay. But I'm not really disappointed in her. I'm disappointed in how they made her. Yeah, yeah, And what they did to her. I mean, you've illustrated very eloquently problems that I have. So you agree with this? You you saw the same issues? Yeah. It sucks that... It sucks that Wade is the one that leads everyone. Mm. Wade is so stupid he says his name out loud in the game <laughs> right, that right, is how right. stupid yeah, he is she, she's set up to be really smart and you know very careful. and the smart girl still yeah. doesn't get the win and mm. i'm very sorry the smart girl is the one that gets the job in the real world and the smart girl is the one that gets the life she really wants and the smart girl who is leading a resistance is the one that gets shit done Mm. and movies keep playing with that idea and then shutting it down Mm. which is further perpetuating the idea to young girls and women that hey i mean if you're going to be smart that's great good for you handshake but you're not going to win right well you're not going to be i mean you're not going to yeah. achieve what you've set out to achieve. Yeah, I and just want to be careful by saying you're not going to win just because she does get to... She's the first one that gets the second key. You know, she does make some achievements throughout it, but... But, but it all gets yeah. taken away. Yeah, exactly. And that's a problem. Right. It's a problem that the main characters are all white. It's a problem. We're not in that world anymore. Like... Bring in the variety. I think... You, they so can't you could, just be backup people. They well, can't... Okay, okay. Let me push back a little bit here. I think, okay, you have... Fine. You can make a valid argument in terms of the main character. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it makes sense that the villain is corporate white guy. I'll give you that. That's fine. But Wade didn't need to be white. And that's fair. And straight. Right. And like... Or any of that. That's fair. That's fair. And... Uh, I'm not insulting what he is. I'm Uh just saying he could have been something else to represent something more than. So, okay. So we had issues with the character, Artemis. And you're saying diversity is an issue. And I think there's some valid points there. What else did you have issues with? Well, just to really... Or did you want to bring up Well, to quickly add up into the diversity thing, I mean, if you look at all the people that were working for the Sixers that were in their blue suits that were helping with their knowledge, they're all white. And Mm. I know that that's not the case. You're talking about the the, the nerds that were, like, discussing... Like the geek bubble, yeah. Yeah, okay. And I know for a fact that it's not just white people that are geeks and that knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. You go to a Comic-Con and... There's more diversity in the IOI agents than the... Not scientists. Like the, the knowledge the, bubble. The, yeah, right. Um, but, oh, anything else? Yeah, that's that's maybe it for now, yeah. Yeah, that's all the, the spoiler stuff you had to bring up? Possibly, yeah. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. <laughs> I'm still processing the film because I have a love angst relationship with it. Okay. Where I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that I'm seeing all this geeky stuff in this yeah. beautiful film that's beautifully put together with nice cinematography and good visual effects that'll hold up for at least a decade and a half. And then, like, I see the portrayal of a woman and I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't really make sense. And the lack of diversity that none of that makes sense because it's not in alignment with with what we are experiencing in the world today or what we're trying to achieve in the world today. So it just feels a little what is it called? It feels a little out of touch in that okay. way. Uh, I, I can understand that. I yeah. can understand that. So that's Ready Player One. Shannon had mixed feelings about it. I had a good time with it, but it definitely had some problems with it as well, I think. Would, do we recommend it, though? Oh, yeah. I think people should check it out. All right. Cool. What are your thoughts on Ready Player One? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Film faves, this week we'll be focusing on our favorite Spielberg movies. Now, typically, film faves is a segment inspired by a segment from the Gibson Review blog where we count down our 12 favorite respective movies around a particular topic. The purpose of this is not only to give you an idea of our movie taste, but also to help expose you, hopefully, to things that you haven't seen or heard of before. And to that end, we do try to point you in the direction where you can find these things currently streaming. We focus on four streaming services, I believe. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and HBO Now. This week, however, uh, we're taking a break from our year-by-year countdown, so to speak, and actually focusing on a theme. Spielberg films. Now, this week we decided to do a combined list rather than our respective list. Because when we did try to do our own respective list out of Spielberg's 33 or 30 plus films, we ended up having almost the exact same list, which was very interesting, with just like three differences per list. So we have a combined list this time. And we'll take turns going back and forth, introducing each film and where they're available to stream. Shanna, I'm going to start us off with our number 12 pick, available now on Netflix, Lincoln. (laughs) It is one of the films that you hadn't actually seen of uh, Spielberg's. But I felt like it was was kind of an outlier. It just barely fit my list. But it's because of a couple of reasons that it made my list. One, it's possibly his best film this decade. Two, Daniel Day-Lewis. Really great performances, particularly by Daniel Day-Lewis, but also a fascinating look at something that we kind of lionize and we don't really get actual context and humanize, which is when Lincoln was coming trying to make the, if I remember correctly, the Emancipation Proclamation uh, happen. The, the law that outlawed slavery, you know, and the end as a result of the Civil War, right? So it turns out that it wasn't just one thing that one noble man did, it was one thing that one noble man fought for, but you had to do a lot of compromises and kneeling and dealing in order to make that happen. And the process of that is makes for a very fascinating and very interesting story. 
So that's our number 12 Spielberg film, Lincoln, available on Netflix. Our number 11 is a favorite of mine that wasn't on Jeff's list, much like Lincoln, and it's available to stream on Netflix. It's Schindler's List. And this made my list because I thought it was one of the most beautiful pieces of work that I'll ever see and something that's really special in depicting the historical event of World War II, uh, specifically Nazi Germany and how the Jewish camps were formed, etc. Just all of that. (laughs) That whole ball of human mess. So, I mean, the cinematography is amazing. This This film took seven out of its 12 Oscar nominations. Mm. The the performances were amazing. You've got someone like Liam Neeson. You've even got Ben Kinsley. And I think my favorite scene is when Liam Neeson realizes that Ben Kinsley has been taken. Mm. And oh, yeah. he's, a, he's been put on the train to uh, one of the, the Jewish camps. and camps, yeah. Yeah, and... He can't lose that guy. <laughs> it's right. his accountant. Right. Uh, but I think he's also he's also grown fond of him, really. Yeah. And he is telling the, the young German soldier trying to do his job in this atrocity, if you do not help me find him, and if he does disappear, you will be sent to the front lines due to my influence with the Reich. Right. And it, it became this co- comedic moment in, in all of this terrible drama. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like they're looking for him. And uh, Liam Neeson's like, Ishtak, Ishtak. And then the, the soldier that's looking for him too also shouting his name because he's like, oh, this guy means business. So just one comedic moment in there. But fantastic film. I'll watch it maybe once every five years. Yeah, and uh, to the point of the performances, Ray Fiennes, while incredibly chilling and uncomfortable, is is spectacular. He is a monster, absolute monster. Mm. Uh, takes uh, matter-of-fact joy in randomly killing Jews. Yes, I would say Spielberg's best film, but not a favorite of mine, necessarily. Oh, and the black and white is amazing, so that's probably a huge influence for me. What is our number 10, Jeff? The Post. <laughs> this was last year's film, 2017. I'm going to describe it real briefly. A cover-up that spanned four U.S. presidents pushed the country's first female newspaper publisher and a hard-driving editor to join an unpredictable battle between the press and the government. This was a great film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We have reviewed this film previously, actually, so if you do want to know more about the film, you can go ahead and check out that episode which i believe jeff will make note of in the show notes yes and our number nine film is one of my absolute favorite spielberg (laughs) films but when combining the list it weighed much lower on on the list and ranking than i i than it would be on mine it is indiana jones and the last crusade easily my favorite indiana jones film uh just i mean the definition of fun i think Indiana Jones is partnered with and actually saving his dad, played by Sean Connery, against the Nazis in their quest to find the Holy Grail. Uh, So not only does this film touch on the father-son themes that 
are very quite recurring through Spielberg's filmography and, and does it quite well and effectively. But you have fun, great performances by Sean Connery and Harrison Ford. Uh, you have a... A lot of people love Marion Ravenwood, played by Nancy Allen from the original Spielberg film. But I actually always love the love interest in this film most, played by Allison Duty. I don't know. I just was, ever since I was a nine, I was always a sucker for her. <laughs> Say what you will. But also uh, notable is River Phoenix in the prologue of the film as a young Indiana Jones. Oh, how fun. Right? I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, which is also a really fun, cool sequence I always loved. And I think because of that, if I remember correctly, it segued into an actual young Indiana Jones series, like Chronicles, and then those like books, too, that you could read, too, of all these other adventures that Indiana Jones went on as a kid and a teenager. But I, my, I've always had a fondness for The Last Crusade. I think it has everything that Spielberg does best. Just great action set pieces. F- just a lot of fun adventure, basically. So it's uh, number nine on our combined list. Our number eight is the romantic comedy drama Always from 1989. It stars... Richard Dreyfuss, Holly Hunter, John Goodman, Brad Johnson, and Audrey Hepburn is even in it. That's right, her in her last film role, I believe. Mm. Now, this is about a expert pilot who has passed away, and part of his duty after speaking of, like, well, what happens next? <laughs> what happens next is whatever you are an expert in in the human world, in real, you know, in life, that you are now going to become the spirit that mentors the person, you know, a person who is going in the same line of work as you. So it's fun because it makes me think, well, who is my mentor on the other <laughs> side? Really fun. And what happens is the person he is mentoring actually falls in love with the girlfriend he left behind. Right. And I thoroughly enjoyed this film. It's, it's a fun romantic film. And again, it can, you know, it deals with grief. It deals with moving on. It deals with believing in yourself. It, it's mm. really, it's a great film. I think it's one of Spielberg's most overlooked and forgotten films, and it's a shame because it is one of his most beautiful and touching films. I mean, Holly Hunter is fantastic. You know, there are some genuinely moving scenes with her, especially as she does or does not sense Richard Dreyfuss's presence, you know, trying to work through her grief. Film buffs will know this, if I'm not mistaken, as a remake of a film called A Guy Named Joe, which I have yet to catch up with. Uh, kind of golden I thought it was film. a TV show. I would have to research that oh, okay. to see if it was a TV show at one point, but it was definitely a film, and always is the remake of that film. But how nice to have gotten to see Audrey Hepburn in the film growing up always sensed that she was important for some reason while watching that movie Mm. and so kind of uh, retroactively went back and discovered her greatness and that film is available on netflix right now very cool our number seven is hook 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 give us the hook (laughs) so this is just so much fun this is much more fun than always and anything else we've mentioned actually except the last crusade Oh, no, I don't agree. But anyway, I, I grew up with this film, and, you know, it's it's the story based on 
Peter Pan as an adult Mm -hmm. and how he's just completely forgotten to be a child Mm -hmm. and play at life and have fun and the absolute irony there be alive you know like that happened to that can happen to anyone it even happened to Peter Pan and uh, you know you get to see Wendy portrayed by Maggie Smith right Maggie Smith Mm -hmm. one of my favorite women in the world Mm -hmm. god I would just die if I ever got to be in her presence And, of course, Peter Pan is Robin Williams, and you even, Dustin Hoffman is Captain Hook, and Julia Roberts is Tinkerbell, and she's just so sassy and cute. She's adorable. And the colors in this film, like, you can see it's a set, which is so charming, and the colors are just so bright and the the imaginative play that comes about is just gorgeous and yeah. I love that film so much. I do too. I I I grew up loving that movie and having so much fun with it. It captures so much of what Spielberg is, you know, the the the, the importance of family, the sentimentality, the joy, the adventure as a fantastic cast. Bob Hoskins is part of that cast. Rufio is oh, man. The, instantly the most iconic lost boy in any version of Peter Pan, I think. He's great. I, I, I uh, blank on the actor's name right now. But, uh, you know, I was genuinely stunned. Spoilers uh, for Hook. I was genuinely stunned by uh, what happened. I think I was like 10 years old when, I, when Hook oh. came out. Well, that would make sense that, yeah. you know, it would have that effect on you. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, it took me a long time to understand what the backlash by critics was for Hook because it seems so, like, not perfect, but so so damn good. And it really is like the, the set, the, the feeling that everything is a set, it's not a world. And so I, I can understand that, but still there's so... So many good things about that movie that mm-hmm. outweigh that for me. So Well, yeah. I like that it was a set. You don't really see that very much. Well, for a reason now. You know, but, but it's so charming. Yeah. It's so pretty. Anyway. It's one of the few things we actually disagree with on, on the movie. But, yeah, we do agree and love the, the movie, absolutely. What's our number six film, love? Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes, it is. Go Another ahead. Richard Dreyfuss, <laughs> a starring film with uh, Spielberg. And this is uh, during his 70s era, where he was just like one after another, coming out with you know, wonderful hits. This film posits what if aliens came to Earth and were not interested in destroying us, you know? Just want to communicate. Yeah, that, which um, at the time was kind of novel. If you think about and, and, and kind of contextualize what such films were prior to that, it was always like The Day the Earth Stood Still or Earth versus the Flying Saucers or things along those lines, War of the Worlds, you know? But this is actually a more thoughtful and beautiful and, and character-driven take on aliens and, and humans making contact. And, you know, I've seen the film recently on its Blu-ray release, and it actually, like, it holds up. Like, it's referred to often for a reason. It's absolutely spectacular. And it has some really, really cool scenes in it. Like when Richard Dreyfuss is in the car and he takes a stop 
and he's trying to figure out where he's at, and you know, he's reading mm-hmm. the map, and, and then you have the UFO that looks like it's a truck coming up behind him, and he waves him off, and then all of a sudden the truck lights go up instead of around, <laughs> and then this what's then that's that's kind of cute, clever of Spielberg, but then what happens is everything like gravity and everything goes uh, just goes out the window in the truck, and how they did that was they rotate the, the truck around on some sort of gimbal or something like that, and and, and in order to get the effect of things flying around in the truck and that's just really creative filmmaking it's uh it's also got one of his best scores too by john williams which is an awesome partnership so that's close encounters of the third kind next is a film that we've talked about recently in our film faves 2002 episode catch me if you can which uh was one of my favorite films of that year and i ended up liking more than minority report Apparently, we mutually agree because mm-hmm. Minority Report didn't even end up on your list of 12 films. No. This one, again, playing on the father, son, and family dynamics that, that runs through Spielberg's films and adds kind of the heart of the film with great, a, a fine performance by Christopher Walken as well. Uh, but Leo DiCaprio is a real life dude on the run who's like somehow figured out how to con himself into being all sorts of different professions as it's a really interesting. And he's a teenager at the time yeah. too, right? And Tom Hanks is the uh, FBI agent that's after him. Uh, great score again. Great. Oh theme. yeah, it was really good. Yeah, one of the best uh, opening title sequences too mm-hmm. in a Spielberg film. I Very really clever. like that animation. It has a very like playful theme. I think it's like a, a clarinet or a bassoon line that goes along in the theme. Mm-hmm. But also, it's kind of like a you know who's who of up and coming actresses too. You know, you you have a few people to keep an eye out for in that film that kind of adds to the fun. Now, in hindsight, mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but yeah, catch me if you can is our number five favorite Spielberg film. Our number four is E.T., which is available to stream on HBO now. And I do have to say, I still haven't seen this film properly. Really? What? Yeah. Like from beginning to end? Yeah, in one sitting. Really? Okay, so like you... You've seen the whole thing, but it's yes, in like multiple it's settings? all broken up. It's wow. some is repetitive, repeated, and some is uh, I'm probably missing a couple scenes actually. Okay. you know, and that's been the case since I was about ten onwards. Oh, wow. I think sometimes it was just too scary for me. The I think the scariest the part. No, like bring on sci-fi, man! <laughs> like okay. this girl will love it, <laughs> no okay. matter what age. It was the. Was when they're going to like cut into him or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was more, t- yeah. That. that was more terrifying to me. Yeah, yeah. That film was a sensation, which I am just old enough to barely vaguely remember, because hmm. uh, it came out. I want to say 1983. It came out, so I was like two or three years old. But it was one of those things that lasted. You know, it was a, a cultural phenomenon. You know. Reese's Pieces had some sort of a deal with oh, um, that's fun. with ET, and so the marketing was off the charts on comic books and everything, right? But that is a movie that is not only one of the best films about friendship, but it is one of those where it is 
in completely, entirely, wholly tearjerker at the end. Like, I, I, I feel like you need um, a box of tissues or something while watching the end of that film. And part of the magic of that, honestly, is due to John Williams' score, which mm. even just listening to that, that John Made Williams' us cry. score will yeah, move <laughs> me to tears, will choke me up, you know? And it's just a combination of that and hearing E.T. saying, you know, I'll be right here and pointing to Elliot's chest. You're <laughs> getting teared up right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is just such a beautiful film, and I can see why it's often considered one of the greatest sci-fi films ever made. I can't see anything now because of the tears. <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and of course, the darling Drew Barrymore. It's just uh, really beautiful to see her end up becoming who she who who she is in time too i think she's only like three years older than me or something like that too so oh yeah, yeah she's cool. pretty young yeah so our next one number three is jurassic park my third this, favorite spielberg film i think this was like in my own list this was my second favorite film yeah of course for those of you who don't know it's based on the michael Crichton book and it's essentially taking place during they bring these dinosaur experts these paleontologists to come and view the park which um, is off the coast of costa rica yeah before it opens just to you know get some opinions which i feel like well maybe you should have brought them in sooner (laughs) you know i can't help but think preparation and consultation is the key to success here (laughs) the park of course suffers hugely due to uh, actually due to a human one man's greed a one man's greed yeah. um <laughs> yeah. favorite character of mine oh um, really well Nedry. i like Nedry. i think by wayne knight i i love wayne knight mm. i i do love him very much anyway so the 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 theme park starts to break down Things go awry. Dinosaurs are loose. Children are separated from adults. What the fuck was this person thinking? But just so interesting looking at, you know, actual science, the actual science part of science fiction. What would happen if we did have some DNA? Like, could we bring something back to life? Should we? Could we? Must we? If we could, could we change it slightly? And, you know, the, the movies... The movie franchise carries on and on. There's even going to be another one this year. And they kind oh, yeah. of take it further and explore, oh, well, what if we had to put this species with this species? And mm. just your mind can... I mean, I remember when my... We never saw this in cinema. Oh, I must also say, this is a young Laura Dern. So when I realized it was Laura Dern, who's one of my favorite people, I was like, oh, my God! Freaked yeah, out. Didn't you just realize yes. that recently? Yes, Which I was true. really surprised. When did this freaking movie 1993. come out? 1993. Okay, so, all right, so in 94, my mother comes home and tells us she's bought a video for us, and it's still in that hard plastic mm. cover case, and we see the logo, and we think, oh, well, that's really cool. It's it's gonna it's gotta be like Land Before Time, because that's what <laughs> we've been exposed to. Oh, and Land Before Time was really popular in South Africa. I mean, the equivalent of a Macy's or Nordstrom took half of a floor and turned it into Land Before Time theme. That movie came out when you were like one, and Jurassic Park came out when you were like seven. So maybe South Africa only got it around. Well, in 94, that's when all the restrictions would have been up. Uh, so, 
Anyway, back to Jurassic Park. I mean, there's so many comedic moments happening here. I mean, there are so many people that have referenced. I think it even got referenced in Ready Player One where the dinosaurs are in the kitchen and the kids are hiding in a cabinet and the dinosaur is going Right, with its claws one, yeah, yeah. And it took me a while to figure out what was going on there too. But anyway, my mom came home with this video and even though it wasn't Land Before Time, we love that film. I mean, that film's... T- like the the reel got damaged we had watched it so much oh, yeah, the VHS. you know we would just run out of the room and run back in and run out of the room and run back in so it was always really fun because um, it was terrifying it, it was it was so terrifying yeah. and you know i think my brother's most terrifying moment for that film was the the tapping of the toes the kitchen scene yeah so for years and years he would never look at it and just a couple of years ago, he said, oh, my God, Shanna, did you know that the dinosaur is actually having fun <laughs> hunting for its prey? And that Steven Spielberg put in a little tick, tick, tick. And it was it was hilarious. There's always something that I miss. And uh, then I pick up on something new every time I watch it. Hmm. Very cool. So our, our second favorite Spielberg film is Empire of the Sun from 1987 which I feel is also one of his most overlooked. It is set during World War II in China when Japan occupied China. And also part of that was to basically put all of the British families who had taken up residence in in, uh, part of Shanghai, I think, if I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. and put them in in their own concentration camps too, right? Mm -hmm. And so... The only thing they know is they weren't like death camps. They were just like prison camps, essentially. Um, yeah, with really horrible living conditions. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. Like, disease was kind of spread about. I can't remember what disease. A young Christian Bale stars in this film. And so is Joan Malkovich, which is kind of cool to see. Oh, yeah, and I like Joe that. Pantoliano, and Joe so, I like that more. Yeah, there's a, a few, <laughs> few well-known people in it. But uh, also, John Williams' score, his music in it, is probably one of my most favorite in, in all of his Spielberg collaborations. That's as em- It's not as emotional as E.T., but it is yeah. sort of on the same level. But I think one of the reasons why you like it is because some of the cinematography in it is absolutely oh gorgeous God. as well, too, right? Like when they're welding the um, or, or working on the, the planes and you have the sparks flying. I stuff, love, right? guys, I love sparks. Yeah, it's just really um, stunning and just really moving. And, you know, the relationship with the Japanese boy and Christian Bale's character, Jamie, is is uh, really something so yeah empire of the sun is definitely worth seeking out it's our second favorite spielberg film our top favorite steven spielberg film if you haven't figured it out yet is jaws yes Mm -hmm. and i'm going to read the description because i think it'll be fun okay a local sheriff a marine biologist and an old seafarer team up to hunt down a great white shark wreaking havoc in a beach resort and after this film was released we had a definitely a decline in the great white shark population oh shit really? well yeah kid like in south africa we learn about it from like grade one. Oh, see in the states from what i understand it was such a phenomenon that people avoided the beaches well it's really funny because people in people in south africa must have been doing the opposite killing yeah, the sharks like it, yeah. so this film p- 
put so much fear in people. Yeah. Such a good film, creating fear with just a couple notes. Oh, this is a solid film, absolutely. It's not at all what you might expect, even though it has one of the most terrifying opening sequences I have seen in horror, in legit horror or otherwise films. Yeah, it also has like that scene where Roy Scheider comes home. He's like really stressed. You know, I think he had an altercation with the mayor. You know, the mayor's just not listening to him. And his son is sitting there at the table with him. And he re- begins to realize that his son is copying his movements and stuff. Mm. And it's just this really sweet, tender scene in the middle of, just, you know, people getting absolutely mutilated. Yeah. You know, uh, by, by sharks and stuff. By a shark. A shark, stuff, yeah. Know? It's just like a really nice little grace note that um, Spielberg puts in there. And it's, mm. Joss, yeah, it's it's. Well, it's the one movie that we could come together on. Yes, it was. But um, But this was mutually our second favorite Spielberg films on our own respective lists. And uh, so it definitely weighted as our combined favorite Spielberg film. So, but we're interested, you know, there's over 30 Spielberg films now. From the, that spans from the 70s to today. What is your favorite uh, Steven Spielberg film that he's directed? Let us know at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. Shanna, before we talk about next time on The Movie Lovers, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? You can find me at shannapaxton.com, and from there you'll see all my social media channels, S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N. Awesome. Go to the Gibson Review to find more episodes to stream from there, as well as other lists and past reviews dating back all the way to like 2009, 2010, something like that. You can also go to uh, the Gibson Review on Facebook to find links to these episodes, third-party links, and mini-reviews. Go to the Gibson 99 on Flickchart to find my list of all the films I have ever seen. And of course, find more episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please give us a review. What do you think? Be constructive. We appreciate it. Email us also your thoughts at gmail at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. So next time on The Movie Lovers, we will be doing our summer movie preview. And we're going to do something a little bit different with Film Faves. We have gone through the entire decade of the aughts. And so we will be discussing our favorite films of that decade from 2000 to 2009. So you will need to look for that on the 24th of April. For now, though, this is Jeff and Shanna saying keep loving the movies. Bye-bye. This film 